Hello and welcome to the Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rhodes. And on today's episode, I have Jonah Coyne. Jonah and his wife, Alexis, are the co-founders of Stay Here, a faith-based mental health organization with a mission to see Gen Z suicide-free. Before launching Stay Here, Jonah was a youth pastor in Bonnie Lake, Washington for five years. And prior to pastoring, he studied at Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in Redding, California. Jonah, Alexis, and their two children currently live in the Seattle area and are passionate about the next generation following Jesus and walking in freedom. This is the launch of season four of the podcast, and I'm excited. At the point that we recorded this, I had only met Jonah once before, and it was briefly. We met him and his wife and uh, outside, of, uh, outside of a church meeting, and uh I sense we've become friends and he is, I'm so impressed with him. I'm so impressed with his heart for God and uh, how much he loves his family. Uh, He really loves Jesus. And um, I'm so thankful to be able to count him as a friend. I think you guys are going to get so much out of this. His organization stay here is incredible. You've probably heard of them. And if you haven't, you're going to, Um, it's, it's getting national attention and they're having a national impact. So I'm I'm very excited. I'm excited that he gets to be the episode that we're we're launching on, that we're launching this new season, and I have a lot coming up for you. As you can tell, I'm in a new location, um, and uh, this this new loca- new location is our new house. And so God blessed us with a new house. We're we're deeper in the city of Seattle, and uh, that's a whole God story. I hope to share with you guys at some point. Um, and Jonah and I actually record this right before I moved. And so that was a couple months ago and I've been holding on to this conversation, uh, which has been so difficult cause I want you guys to hear it. And, uh, in those couple months, uh, my wife also had our third baby. So we welcomed Avalina Catherine into the world. Uh, her middle name is Catherine after Catherine Kuhlman, uh, in honor of Catherine Kuhlman. So we had some big life changes. So that's why I haven't been posting. That's why I haven't, uh, had a new podcast and the season has been delayed a little bit. Uh, but the season is going to be great. And, uh, thank you guys so much for, for your support, uh, financially, uh, also your encouragements and your prayers. Uh, the podcast is growing. We're growing in excellence. And, uh, this is only the beginning. The, the greater days are, are ahead. Um, the best is yet to come. So, uh, let's jump into this conversation with Jonah after a quick sponsor segment. Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet. Religion is not okay with Jesus the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one. He doesn't just have good teachings. He is the the breaker of bondage. He will transform you. You got to go after knowing him more. He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth your time. He's worth your life. And there's there's nothing, this, this city, this nation, the nations of the world are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people. They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? If the king of the universe and all of his goodness, all of his backing, if all of heaven is for you and standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? 
We could, we could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly, there is nothing that can stop you. It costs much, but it's worth the cost. It costs everything. This is the Fire Podcast. Well, I'm here with Jonah Coyne. Woo-hoo. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Yes, excited to be here, Ryan. This is awesome. Where are you, uh, where are you joining us from? Um, I am in Bonnie Lake, Washington right now. So, yeah, outside Bonnie of Tacoma. Lake. Bonnie Lake, yep. I don't think I've been to Bonnie Lake. What? Not, not yet, anyways. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've never heard of that. I feel like most people haven't actually, dude. It's It's like in the middle of nowhere. It's more of a farm town um, outside of Tacoma, so that's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. Well, off the off the visit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I'm used to Pursuit, and which isn't. We lived in Snohomish oh, near Pursuit, which is also a farm town. So is it as farm as Snohomish, or is it? It is. Yeah. If, if you go okay. a little bit north, so I'm I'm in Bonnie Lake. If you drive ten minutes north, like you're driving towards Mount Rainier. There's a, a town called Enumclaw, and it's just like Snohomish. Just oh yeah, I've been there. Yep. Yeah, so there you go. I'm I'm like yeah, 20 minutes outside of Enumclaw. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I know where you're at now. Yep. Awesome. So um, I always ask my guests this: Do you remember how we met? Yes. First time we met was at a prophetic conference with Sean and Krista Smith. We met outside, and I think you mentioned something about. Um, because I led worship that night, you mentioned something like, "Hey, do you know Mercy Culture?" Because you were saying some things. You know, you're yeah. like, I think I was saying, "Fear go, Holy Spirit come," or something like that. I'm like, "Oh yeah, dude, I love Mercy Culture," and so we connected that way. Is that yeah. right? That was our first time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I remember that night, um, you did you ministered a little bit from the stage too, yep. like in the midst of worship and stuff, and. I I was standing what would have been what stage left with my daughter and I was like there's something to this guy like I had no idea who you were mm. um now like after meeting you I realized I was like I've heard his name like I know him I know of him <laughs> um but yeah you just you kept saying different mercy culture things and I was like they've <laughs> got to be connected oh so. bro I love those people you know Matt Wakefield has been a huge mentor and influence in my life and just love that church and love the people there so much. So, yeah. Yeah. He, he, man, he had a huge impact actually at Jasmine Tate's wedding. I got to share this with him Yeah, and I need to have him on the podcast, but he, uh, should. he laid hands on me and I had a really dramatic encounter with, with God. Um, that was super impactful, freed me, filled me with courage. Yeah. Really good. So, so amazing. So, yeah, so good. Love that guy. Well, awesome. So let's let's get into um, you are you you have a ministry. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. But you know, just give like really surface level. We can dig into it a little bit later. I want to just what's the ministry, and then get into kind of your story, like connect the dots from growing up to ending up there. Yeah. So uh, I'm a co-founder of a ministry called Stay Here, and our ministry focuses on. Um, really equipping the church 
schools, anybody and everybody in mental health um, with an emphasis on suicide prevention. And so our whole goal um, and our mission and our mandate that we're carrying right now is that Gen Z would be suicide free. And so mm. right now, the reason why we say Gen Z, and I'm going to explain who Gen Z is. Gen Z is That's any <laughs> anyone that was born from 1997 to 2012. So this is your middle school, high school, and a little bit of college age students. Um, and uh, so I think 20, if you're 23, yeah, if you're 23 years old, you're still considered Gen Z. Um, but the second leading cause of death for Gen Z right now is suicide. And it's been that way pre-COVID. So in 2019, that was the, st the current statistic was it was the second leading cause of death. Um, and right now, fentanyl is the number one leading cause of death. And they call fentanyl the suicide drug. And so, um, and this is for Gen Z. This isn't just for every age mm. group. So what we're seeing, and this is crazy too, Ryan, they've not even given us, the CDC has not even given us the current statistics. So they, they don't even, they're not even letting from, us know 2021. COVID. Yeah, from COVID. Wow. So they are not letting us uh, in on 2021 or 2022. But we do know that in the beginning of 2020, when the, the lockdowns happened, um, the suicide hotline was overran. They have never had that many calls. Um, and now I think it's just this month, they actually changed the number for the suicide hotline. So it's a three digit number. So it's easier to call and easier to remember mm. because of how COVID has impacted people's mental health and the lockdowns impacted people's mental health. We know in Canada, in Australia, it's the number one leading cause of death. So they, they've given us those statistics, but Man. the United States won't. And so, yeah, so long story short, like really what we do right now, our whole goal before the pandemic happened was to get into high schools. So we wanted to do assemblies and travel and speak in high schools and give an encouraging message for kids to stay here and for them to actually choose to live. And we got into one high school. It was incredible. And then the pandemic happened and locked down every school. Man. So we changed the way that we did our ministry. We created an online suicide prevention training that is gospel centered and it's Christ centered and Christ focused. Um, we give the statistics, we give the warning signs and the risk factors for people who are contemplating suicide and who are suicidal. And then we give, a, basically, we teach you how to communicate to someone who is suicidal. Because most people, even pastors that I've talked to, when someone comes up to them and says, I, I'm dealing with suicidal thoughts, most of the time we just pray for that person. Hmm. And we, we, we answer it with a spiritual answer, which is good. Um, but there are so many practicals we're learning to mental health that people aren't talking about, or they just don't know how to actually have a conversation with that person because they think if I really engage, I'm going to push this person off the edge. I'm going to make this worse for them if I really, really engage. But what we've learned and what statistics show is that just by simply having a conversation and asking the right questions you significantly reduce the chance of someone taking their life. And so wow. that's what we want to teach people, especially the church, because we believe that the church is the answer for the world. And so if we can teach the church and equip the church 
to actually know what to do with people who are struggling with mental health. Man, I believe that we can change the world, change statistics, and see possibly a suicide-free generation. And so that is our dream. That's our goal. That's the the generation that we're fighting for right now. Um, the way that I got there was um, I got you know this this is like longer longer story, but born again, filled with the Holy Spirit when I was thirteen, changed everything. Knew I wanted to be in ministry at the age of fourteen. Um, but I had no idea that I was going to be doing what I was do- what I'm doing now. I-, I thought I was going to be an evangelist. Like, have you heard of um, Reinhard Bonnke? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that was like my dream. I was like, <laughs> I would I would watch Reinhard Bonnke videos and be like, yes, Africa shall be saved. Like, I just want to do crusades and and heal the sick and do all that stuff. And so that was kind of my dream. And then I went to, after high school, I went to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in Redding, California. I did three years there. In my third year, I interned for an evangelist named Chris Overstreet. He's uh, located in Vancouver in the Portland area right now. Um, And then right out of that internship, I took a youth pastor role, um, which was a total shift for me because Mm. I wanted to be an evangelist, like I said. So being a pastor was a totally different thing for me. But what what it did for me is is pastoring young people. I got to see right there in my youth ministry how bad young people struggle with their identity, how bad they struggle with mental health, especially this generation. Once once we got this in their hands, phones, it's a game changer. Social media totally shifted this generation in good ways and in a lot of bad ways. And so, um, but a little bit of a backtrack why, why we started Stay Here. It was my uncle who was a big role in my life. Um, amazing man of God. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease probably when I first got saved. And then he ended, he ended up taking his life in my third year at um, BSSM and that level of grief and that shock because up to that point I've never known someone that close to me who's taken their life Hmm. um, and died by suicide and so that shock of wait my uncle he's a believer he's he's a man of God he's so amazing he's the rock of our family everyone loves him but he struggled so much physically that it affected him mentally because of the Parkinson's disease. And so that was the first person um, that, that was close to us that took their life that really shook us up. Me and my brother, he's, he's the other co-founder of Stay Here. And then the other person was a pastor in Southern California named Jared Wilson. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. But he took his life in 2019 on Suicide Prevention Day. And he, he actually, before that, he wrote the foreword for my brother's book, um, the first book that my brother wrote. And, uh, so I remember my brother calling me just bawling, weeping on the phone, like, bro, you're not going to believe this. Jared took his life. And, and, and he was a big advocate of suicide prevention. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He had his own organization. Anthem of hope is the name of it. Um, where they focused on seeing Christians free from depression, anxiety, and just, having safe conversations around the topic. And so when it happened, it was just a, like a bomb went off in our spirit that we need to do something about this. And so it was really out of that 
that we started stay here. And we knew, man, if pastors are taking their life because he wasn't the only pastor, there was another pastor in SoCal. I can't remember his name, but he took his life and he was a pastor of a mega church. And so we just knew, man, we need to do something about this. And so that's why Mm. we're doing it now. And God's using this ministry all over the world. It's crazy the favor and the hand of God on it to see young people set free. Um, Since we opened up our training, I think it was eight months ago, we've trained 2,500 individuals in suicide prevention, which is an awesome number, but we want to train millions. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, that's everything in a nutshell, bro. It's kind of surface level, but a little bit deep. Yeah. Yeah, man. Jared Wilson, I I haven't heard his name in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember when that happened, I I didn't know him, um, but I knew of him. And I actually like had a dream about him that I sent him um, not too long before that over Twitter DMs of all things. Wow. I went back and found it when that happened um, because I was like, I remember I sent him and um, yeah, I won't won't share all that on here, but it had to do with what he was dealing with. Um, It's such a sad thing. Actually, I just heard uh, Chris Hodges, who's the um, pastor of Church Church of the Highlands. Yes, yes. Um, one of the largest churches in America. And he was talking and he actually referenced um, the other pastor mm-hmm. and just how much that devastated him and everything. And he, he gave a really, I, I can't do it justice. So I won't talk about it uh, too much, but he gave a really profound message out of uh, first Kings 19, mm. 19, um, where Elijah's in the cave Yes, and just talking about like depression and, and what leads to suicidal thoughts and all that. And how like, there's like nine factors and of those nine, like only two of them are inherited. So only two of them are the type that would need medicated or, you know, would be something biological. The other are, um, uh, so, uh, socio, what or sociopathic or social or learned. No, I, I, I mean, they're the learned. Term. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's behaviors that essentially that you're, things that you're doing, mm. um, or that have been done to you. Wow. And, um, and so of those, I think Elijah in, in that chapter, mm. uh, does like six of them. Wow. Um, and so including like he isolates himself yep. when his servant wants to go with him, he tells him to stay back. And like, it's like one thing after another and how even the angel, the angel, like his, his, his grand solution was like, wake up, eat. And then go back to sleep. Yes. And then wake up again, eat, <laughs> go back to sleep. Yes. Like, um, and so it was like, it was really good because I think for me, and I want to draw this point a little bit because mm-hmm. um, I'm, anybody who knows me knows I'm very much for deliverance and for the spiritual and yes. um, the supernatural. I'm all for it. Um, but I think, I do think that we, we tend to not, we either fall on one side or the other. So you got the people who are hundred percent, like mm. we just need to process everything and um, every, everything can be solved through therapy and, and all this kind of stuff. And <laughs> yeah. you got the, the other side is everything, everything is a demon and you just pray it out. Right. And there's like, there is that middle ground. And I think that's one of the things you guys do really well is recognizing it's both like yeah. they need Jesus, but they might need to eat you know they might need to actually get rest yeah i need to get off social media for a little while bro it's so true yeah it's it is it's so both uh you know i spoke actually at um 
Mercy Culture's uh, School of Leadership, Supernatural Leadership, not that long ago. And that was one of the biggest questions that people had was, and I didn't even talk much about mental health, but a lot of people were so, they were so into that part of, of what we do for Stay Here. And they asked, you know, is it spiritual all the time or is it, you know, practical, which, which is it? And it's always both. I think it, or I mean, not always, sometimes it's one or the other, but I think most of the time it's both. And, um, even for me, you know, you mentioned the thing about eating. We knew going into starting an organization like this, that we are going to hear a lot of good things and a lot of bad things, um, Mm -hmm. which is true. I, I hear probably every other week of someone taking their life. It comes to me. I'll hear stories of it. And so what do you do when you hear stuff like that? How do you have to, how do you have to steward your life in a way where you're hearing bad news? Cause we're not created to hear bad news. That's why so many people struggle during the pandemic because all they're doing is watching the news and it's all bad yeah. and it's fear driven. I'm like, dude, of course you're crushing your mental health. And so I knew going into it, I had to change the way that I eat, which is like, People don't even talk about that stuff, but you're, you're, you are a three-part person. You're a spirit, soul, body, right? Spirit who lives in a body, who has a soul. And then I needed to actually do stuff, stuff like actually seeing a counselor. And for a lot of people, they're like, whoa, but you believe in the supernatural. Yes, I do. <laughs> I, just like you, Ryan, like I cast out demons. I heal the sick. I see this stuff all the time. And it's probably my favorite thing. Like I love the supernatural and I'm sure we'll talk more about it during this podcast, but I knew I had to do practical things to make sure that my soul was thriving because the the Bible says that you will prosper as your soul prospers. What's your soul? Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. And so I know that I can't be spiritually mature if I'm emotionally immature. Hmm. So you, it's, it's, that's really good. A lot of people think a lot of people just focus in the church. They focus on spiritual maturity and they never take care of their body and their soul. And then they wonder why after a couple of years they feel burnt out. Well, maybe it's because you eat Chick-fil-A every day. <laughs> like, you know, maybe it's because I think, well, I think, <laughs> I think maybe like Popeye's or something. Sure. You can't, sure. You can't hate let's on not Chick-fil-A. hit, let's not hate on Chick-fil-A. Maybe you're eating McDonald's every day. How about that? Yeah, that's better. There you go. Praise God. That evil clown, that evil clown, man. He is, <laughs> we cast him out Lord. No, but seriously, you know, you're maybe you're eating bad and you're not taking care of your soul. And, uh, so I'm passionate about this stuff, man. And you're, mm. you're so right, Ryan, it is both and it's practical it's spiritual because that's who we are. We're, we're physical, we're emotional, we're spiritual. And so you have to make sure, are you healthy in every area of your life? Um, so yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I haven't shared this with you. Um, I've shared it on the podcast, uh, for those who have listened to our, the, the first round table discussion. Um, I had a friend named Justin Allen on mm-hmm. and, uh, along with a couple other guys, but Justin and I like end up in this round table. We're just hitting all these different topics with, and we are all leaders and um, in different spheres and just like being really honest about stuff. And we both opened up. um, Both of us were, had been through seasons of being ministers and being suicidal and and, and dealing with that. And so for, um, 
you know, he, he opened up with his, his part, which I won't share all that. But for me, like, you know, we went through the season of just like real pain, like people we had loved really hard, um, given everything to turned on us. Mm. And it just like my heart and all the, all the love and all that, I just shut off. Wow. And, um, I just ended up in this place where I was like on staff, I'm leading a movement stuff. God's doing stuff. People's lives are being changed. Um, but I would pull into my garage and shut the garage, leaving the car running without even realizing it. And then once I would realize it being like, Oh, I could just take a nap. And I would have that. And I, I remember it getting to the point that I would lay in bed at night and fantasize about what it'd be like to die. Wow. And, um, and so it scared me enough that I like, was like telling my wife and I was telling people, yeah. which didn't actually help. It, it just kept people aware, wow. kept people in it with me. And, um, uh, there was a prophet that came in and I don't even remember what happened except for I got hit with the joy of the Lord. Come on. Um, and literally pushed back like two or three rows <laughs> and laughed uncontrollably and uh, offended so many people mm-hmm. because I was laughing louder than the person was speaking. <laughs> and I, I had to, yeah, I had people reaching out to me like, hey, I, somebody disrupted the service. Like, can you explain what was going on? Why the staff let that go on? I'm like, well, that was me. And I was getting free of suicidal thoughts. And I had never dealt with that before that season. Wow. And I've never dealt with it since. Um, but it was deeply, it was deeply spiritual in that sense. And I knew like one of the things I realized is, is it is, it is a demon. Wow. Um, it is a demon that comes and whispers to you. Yep. It's not natural for any living thing to want to take its own life. That's right. Um, and so I, I really realized that. But the thing is, like when you're in it, you feel like you have no other option. Yeah, it, it feels like the most real, the most logical option is to end everything. Yeah, and which is um, deception, which is demonic. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I think the other side of that is like I did not have, uh, I wasn't taking good care of my soul. Wow. And as a minister, I was going, going, going. Yep. I was giving everything I had, and I wasn't being filled up. And, and not only in a spiritual sense, but getting real rest, having hobbies, like just having fun, having friends that were not needing something from me. Yes. Um, all those things were not, were not present like they needed to be. And I was married. My wife is amazing. Um, but she couldn't have fulfilled all those things for me right, either. Right, right. And so I, I think that that's a lot of times we experience um, – we experience things like depression or, you know, the, whatever. And it's really because we've allowed certain areas of our life to go low. Wow. And r- to run low, like I'm not eating enough, or I'm not getting enough sleep, or I'm on social media constantly inundated with negativity and political mess and all this stuff. And then I wonder why I'm in that place. <laughs> and it opens us up to then a demonic thing to come. It's like we're susceptible. Yes. And it comes. Yeah. It's like I've heard it said, you know, where your attention goes, the power flows. Mm. And so it's exactly what you're saying. You know, it's if you're running yourself down and you're not taking care of yourself and you're focusing on things like what you're saying, like all, you know, the political, whatever it is that you're focusing on and you're not taking care of you. Oh my goodness, man. Like, it's a recipe for disaster. That, that was something else, too, that we implemented um, when we really started doing Stay Here. I wish we did it sooner, but with Sabbath and really mm-hmm. making sure that we actually had a day of rest that where there was no ministry, where there was no 
anything, but we're ministering to the Lord and we're ministering yeah. to ourselves. We're letting him minister to our, to us, our family. And bro, that was a game changer for us. Cause I I've been in the same, same place, not necessarily suicidal, but definitely depressed and definitely burnt out. And I'm young, like I'm 26 years old. I, I, yeah. but when I was in my, you know, I think I was 23 and I was burnt out hundred percent burnout. Like you can't even, you can't yeah. make this stuff up. I was dragging in ministry. And so I get it. And, uh, there are so many different things that we can do to help our soul and to help our spirit in those times. So it's so good, yeah. bro. Let's, let's talk about Sabbath a little bit more. I think, um, mercy culture is one of the first churches I've seen really like push, like push for people to have a Sabbath Yes, and it not, and it not just mean like attend church, yeah. you know, like it's actually like a, a legitimate, like a, a lifestyle choice, yep. um, to set aside time with God. Um, what, what does that look like for you? Like personally, what is, what is a Sabbath to you? Yeah. Um, Sabbath for us is, you know, our family originally in ministry, like when I was, you know, still the youth pastor at East Point, we, we, we made our Sabbath Monday, um, because Sunday, if you're in ministry, it's, that's a work day. Let's just be real. Just call it what it is. Yeah. You are busy. You're pouring yourself out. And so Monday for me was like rest and recovery day. Um, but I learned really quick that I needed almost another day while I was still doing ministry hmm. um, at the, in the local church. Um, but for us now, it's we do it really like um, how the Jewish people would do it. We, we do as Friday goes in as, at the end of the night, we know we're entering into Saturday in full rest mode. We're entering into that day of just... How can we be together, love each other, eat really good food, do the things that we want to do as a family, you know? And so we do that. And then we really prioritize um, worshiping Jesus together as a family. It's crazy. A lot of it's it, it like my son. I have a two-year-old son. He's almost two. And I know that I know that I know he knows how to worship Jesus. And people mm. all day long could say, well, he's only two. You know, there's no way that he knows. But when I turn on worship music in my home and we're allowing the presence of God to fill our living room, my mm. son is lifting up his hands and he's singing with us. He's worshiping Jesus. And I, I, would, I would submit this. If John the Baptist in the womb can recognize the presence of God, mm. then so can a two-year-old. So can a yeah. one-year-old. And I think we need to create that space. And so we do that as a family. And we just make sure, man, seriously, it's it's like our day and the Lord's day all in one. It's like what Jesus said. Sabbath was made for us, not men for yeah. the Sabbath. And so it's it's that refill and re refresh day. That's that's it in a nutshell for us. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been trying to explain it to people this way recently. Like if they understand the tithe, so the tithe is like, I'm going to, I'm going to trust that you can do more with my, with, with me only having 90% yep. by me honoring you with the 10, you you can do more with my 90 than I could with a hundred percent. And it's the same, same concept. It's, you know, God, I trust that you can do more with my six days than I could with seven. That's it. hundred percent. Yeah. 
hundred percent. And there's, and, there's so many good books on this too. Like, uh, I don't know if you ever read John Mark Comer's book. He, he was the pastor at Bridgetown in Portland, but he wrote a book called the ruthless elimination of hurry. Hmm. And I read that book going into COVID and that's when we started implementing Sabbath because there's studies that he puts in that book. I think I, I don't, I don't remember which country did this, but they implemented an eighth day. Hmm. It's, I don't even know how they did that, but they were like, we're going to make the week longer so that we can get more work done during the weeks. And when they did that, I think it only took three months for them to realize they were getting less work done with a longer work week than with a shorter work week and a day off. Why? Because you can't give more when all you're doing is going, going, going. You're just giving your scraps. And so God is so smart in in going like, you know what? Work for six, rest for one. It's Mm -hmm. the only way that you're going to get more done and actually be the best version of you. And so, and I would say this too, like we don't just, we don't just make it that specific day. I really prioritize living from a lifestyle of rest because Jesus in the new Testament, he's become our Sabbath rest. And we rest because of the finished work of the cross. Like, you know, simple truths like this. I'm not working towards righteousness. I'm working from righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm not working for his presence or to his presence, but from his presence. And so just being aware of simple truths like that, bro, of just, man, I'm not in a, I'm not in a place of working for the Lord. I'm working from him. I'm working from overflow. (laughs) Just talking about it even now, man, it just makes me so happy because it's like, (laughs) I remember a day as a Christian where I was working towards Jesus instead of with Mm. him. And man, there's a big difference. There's such a big difference. So yeah, that's so good. Um, I I want to jump back to what you're saying. Um, Anything with kids and parenting, Cause you have, you have two, right? Two, Yeah. We have a two, kids. Yeah, a two month old and an almost two year old. Yeah. And so at the time of this recording, I have a three year old, a one year old and one that's on the way. <laughs> but by the time I release this podcast, the baby will be that's here. Insane. Um, yeah. And so, man, it's, it's the greatest reward. Um, but I'm realizing like, and I'm sure you have, you already mentioned one. There's so many things that you like hear as parents or even before you're a parent that you just realize are kind of like just BS <laughs> seriously. Um, and, and, you know, like things like, you know, children need this dumbed down. They just need babysat, you know, in the back room somewhere of the church so you can focus and stuff. And I've just found like the reason that you're almost two year old, mm-hmm. uh, right. Yep. Yeah. The, the reason you're almost two year old worships is because they've seen you worship. That's it. And, and I just like, you know, my kids, unfortunately, I, I, I work from home, which is good, but unfortunately I work. Uh, so during the day and stuff, they're, they're mainly with their mom and she worships all the time. And so I'll never forget. There was one time, and I think this was, my daughter had to have been just a little over one. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I remember we put on uh, a Stephanie Gretzinger song. We we're going to the airport and I, I'm pretty sure I was being dropped off for a trip I was taking. And I remember looking back and seeing her with tears in her eyes, worshiping your daughter. Yeah. Wow. At just a little over one at, to that song. And like, we were like, we were in the place I tried to record it and then couldn't, 
I was just like, this is, and there's been a few times like that where like, we've seen her really engage and it felt like God has been protective of like, no, don't, don't record this. Wow. Um, but I'm just, I, I, it's so true that if you just like live this out in front of your kids, there's no, like we always say, it's cliche at this point, but there's no junior Holy Spirit. Exactly. The worship. Yeah. Um, he wants to encounter our kids. I'm, I want to share something. I've, I have, I don't think I've actually shared this publicly, but I feel like I'm supposed to share this to just encourage people like God wants to really mark our kids. And I, mm. I, I don't know about you, bro, but like before having kids, life was really just all about my dreams and just yeah. all about what I wanted to do. But now having kids, I just, all I think about is them. It's really crazy. Uh, you know, especially um, with our boy, our firstborn, our son, Cruz. And when he was born, something supernatural happened. And we've been unpacking it ever since he's been born. <laughs> but it was mm. the day after uh, he was born. And my brother Jacob comes over with his family and um, to, to hold him. And we had a home birth. It was so crazy, man, for our first kid. I'm like, what were we doing? It was awesome. But, you know, it was, it was just crazy. <laughs> so Jacob comes over. And uh, I hand Cruz, my son, over to my brother, and immediately the presence of God just falls in our living room mm -hmm. strong. Like, you, you know, you talk about like the kabod glory of God, that thick, heavy, yeah, weighty, weighty presence. That's yeah. what it felt like in our living room. My brother starts crying, and he's just looking at my son. And he's like, he's so beautiful. He's so beautiful. And gold dust starts um, coming all over my son, dude, even talking about wow. it now, like I can just feel the presence of God. Yeah, I can feel it. Yeah. Too. Gold dust wow. is all over him. It's starting. And then it starts to go all over my brother. And I've only seen that a couple of times. And my brother saw it when he was at Bethel, he was in the service where the glory cloud showed up. Hmm. And we, he still has a Bible to this day where he held it up in the cloud and there's gold flakes on it still. But to see that on my son, it was so surreal because I remember praying for him when he was in uh, my wife's womb that he would be marked with signs and wonders and that he would, oh, he wow. would be a mover and a shaker and a prophet to the nations. All the things that we say to our son or to our kids, you know, that we want them to be. But in that moment, God was like, I'm confirming your prayers this son is wow. marked. This child is marked. Steward him in these things. And um, it's so true. Like even when someone's hurting to this day, my son will lay hands on them because he's seen us do it, like you said. And he'll say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And I'm like, you guys, we have a, an opportunity to raise up this generation, our kids, and being fathers mm -hmm raising them up in the way that they should go. And uh, so, yeah, bro, th this stuff fires me up. I could talk about it all day, but it's, we have a yeah. huge opportunity to raise our kids in the presence of God. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I, coming back to like the, some of the Gen Z stuff, mm -hmm. um, I feel like my generation was raised by parents a lot of times, I'm not saying this about my parents, yeah. but I know this is a common story um, where they the the family was sacrificed on the idol of to the idol of ministry. Yes, yes. And um, and then there was almost like a reaction to that 
And then Gen Z has been raised in this place that a lot of Gen Z like haven't even been raised in church. Yeah. And I, I, I just feels like God's like trying to get us back to this place where um, family isn't sacrificed to ministry, but also um, our lives aren't bowing to family Ooh. and, and family isn't an idol either. Wow. Um, but that we actually have like a generational, cause exactly what you said, like, for me, like my life changed when my daughter came mm-hmm. and it was like no longer just about me and my dreams and my ambitions. And it became like, okay, how do I set her up in everything, everything I do? And I'm sure you're the same mm-hmm. way. Like everything I'm doing, I'm looking at like, how am I, am I fighting the giants of my time so that she doesn't face those same giants? Right. You know, like the things that, that she can actually face what she's called to face and not my stuff too. Yes. And, and that we set her up and, and now her brother and about to be sister, <laughs> um, that we set them up so that there's actually a generational change that started with us wow. and, and can continue with them. Um, but I've seen, I've seen a lot of millennial parents where it's like family's everything mm. and they like completely sacrifice the call to, to just be parents Bro. and like, it's about soccer games and <laughs> ballet, Dude. And like all the things. Yeah. What you just said is such a revelation. I've, I've actually, I don't think I've heard anyone say what you just said about family being an idol. And I can totally see that. You can see, I mean, even with the whole deconstruction movement, that's majority millennials. And you know Mm. that that's come from hurt of not being fully seen probably by their parents who are in ministry or they're taking their kids to church all the time. And so now you see this pendulum swing the opposite way of where Mm. we're like, you know what? We're not going to go to church. We're just going to do church at home. Or, you know, we're not going to do ministry. We're going to just focus. Family is our ministry, which is all true. Family is your ministry. It is a priority. But sacrificing the call of God on your life and abandoning the local church because Mm -hmm. you just want to focus on your home, you can do both. It's just like what we were talking about mental health in the beginning. There is a balance you have to figure out. And we, we, we oftentimes just swing to these extremes that are extremely unhealthy. And so Ryan, that's like, bro, I could sit on what you just said for a while. That's so good, bro. <laughs> that is so good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I haven't, I haven't worked all that out, but I mean, it's something my wife and I, we talk about often because yeah. we've, we've, we've always had that perspective of like the, our purpose here on earth is more important than anything else yes. like than anything else and like our marriage is here for the purpose of our calling so like good. we have we have there's people that we're called to reach right. and so we can do what's comfortable for us or we can do what's for the kingdom mm. and um and sometimes there's comfort in that and, and sometimes you need the comforter yeah <laughs> and so, so true bro um, it's so true but the same thing it has to be the same thing with family it has to like we've just tried to keep that perspective because i you know over the years i've seen i've seen so many people want to go one way or the other yeah. where they're like sacrificing their marriage sacrificing their family their kids to the call right uh, you know and or or the other way and i don't have the answer but i i think it's like there's such a tension that has to be there mm-hmm. um and if it's not there you're, you're, there's going to be collapse somewhere. So you might achieve some amazing things for God, but then your kids hate the Lord. And you can, and you can see it. Is it cool cool if I jump in there or were you saying something? Yeah, go for it. You can see it right now, especially with Gen Z. Like 
they have an eight, eight percent of Gen Z has a biblical worldview. Eight, only, 8%, only 8% has a biblical worldview. And, um, the majority of Gen Z is unchurched. I don't know the statistic for that, but I do know the biblical worldview statistic. And to me, um, I even saw this report come out recently from Barna and Barna. I, I would trust their statistics all the time. Barna, they say that 13% of youth pastors, listen to this, have a biblical worldview. So oh how gosh. are you going to trust that Gen Z is going to even know the scriptures, know the Bible, actually be filled with? And so we're wondering, why is demo- the demonic influencing the culture of our world today? And why isn't the church influencing it? It's because we've ran away from scripture and I also believe it's mm. because we've ran away from Holy Ghost. And so we yeah. haven't married spirit and word, and we're running further and further away. We're saying yes to progressive Christianity, um, yes to church hurt, yes to deconstruction, and we're running away from the bedrock of truth that's in Scripture. And then we're handing Gen Z these scraps and not teaching them how to jump into the word. And it's it goes back to what you're saying, Ryan. We millennials... Uh, somehow this this uh we have really dropped the baton uh millennials yeah. have in handing it to the next generation you know these 30 year olds uh my age you know late 20s we're not handing the the correct baton to gen z and i think we've i'm just going to say this i'm kind of running on a rabbit trail a little bit but go for you it you can hear it in our messages today like the messages that you hear even from mainstream pastors who have so much influence, they there is very little biblical truth. Um, and it's mm. a lot of self-help gospel. And it's, and it's very self-centered. And James chapter 3 says that the wisdom of the world is self-centered. It's self-seeking and it's, it's fleshly, it's demonic. But the wisdom that comes from above is so different than that. And so my fear and and what I'm seeing just in the church right now is we are we've ran away from what the early church had. We really have. And it's yeah. really it's time to recalibrate and be presence centered but also bible believing, bible teaching. You know, even the Jesus movement, you look back at the 1970s the Jesus movement was a teach a, a revival that was centered around scripture. And a lot of people don't know that, you know, like you see like Lonnie Frisbee and all these people, we could go into it and I'd love to hear your thoughts about this too. But there was a little bit of the supernatural here and there, a lot of people getting saved, but primarily people would be flooding the churches in Southern California to hear three hour sermons. Like What? Like you hear these yeah. like three hour teaching sermons and people are loving it. This generation of hippies are just loving hearing the scripture. And here we are and we're like, well, here's our 30 minute Ted talk. And I'm, I'm being a little bit harsh for a reason, but that's yeah. what we've made preaching primarily is it sounds like a Ted talk. And yeah, you really want to see a generation changed. We need Holy Spirit and we need truth. Uh, and so, bro, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on wow. it, but it, it just fires me up. 
Yeah, I mean, that was a lot. Uh, SJ Newell and I talked about that a lot in, in uh, the podcast with him. And that's part of the reason I had him on is because I, I feel like there is a... Uh, man, like back in the back in, when I was at Ohio State, mm-hmm. I realized I was really connected with a lot of the atheists. Uh, the, the headquarters for like the Atheist Society, mm-hmm. Collegiate Atheist Society was at Ohio State at that point. Um, and we, I would hang out with those guys all the time saw some of them get healed. It's all, you know, some of them get prophesied over and just amazing things happen and stuff. And, um, but one thing I realized is they were all, almost all charismatic Pentecostal background or Catholic background. So they either came from the background of, we talk about signs, wonders, and miracles and all these amazing things, but nothing ever happens in our services wow. or strict rules and tradition with no real power. Yes. And, um, and that was just such a common, I kept seeing that over and over again. And, uh, and now here we are with Gen Z where, you know, um, they don't have a biblical worldview for the most Mm -hmm. part. And, and we just like, we have to have the power of God, but (laughs) there are so many, and like, especially us being out here in the PNW, Mm -hmm. like we, we see this probably more than others, but like there's definitely the ability to move in the supernatural here without any biblical uh, connection, without Holy Spirit, without, you know, you can prophesy over somebody and they heard the same thing from their psychic. So it's not, <laughs> it's not actually like that, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't blow their minds. So yeah. you like, you have to have truth at the same time. Um, and it's just, it's so essential. It is. When you mentioned the bar, the Barna study, actually, I was, I was thinking about the Barna study right before you said wow. it. Wow. Uh, and the other part of that study that came out, did you see the part that was of of um, of Christians? This is of Christians specifically. Mm-hmm. Only sixty one percent of teens believe Jesus was crucified. Are you serious? Of of Christians, only sixty one percent even believe he was crucified, and then only fifty percent believe he was raised from the dead, and only twenty two percent or thirty two percent believe he's active in the world today. I mean. So- of Christians. That's the Christian teens. Like that, that's what happens when we don't have word and truth. Seriously. Cause I mean, with that statistic, are you really saved? If you don't believe that he was 61, you say 61% don't believe that he's crucified. He was crucified. Or I'm sorry. 61% believe he okay, was crucified. 61%. So that's still 39% of Christian teens. Christian teens don't even believe he was crucified. That's in, that's insanity. That is insanity. Because, I, I mean, here's another part of the reason for that is how often do you hear the gospel pro- proclaimed in churches today? Just the gospel, like that he, that simple truth, he was crucified, he was raised, he ascended, he's seated at the right hand of God, Holy Spirit poured out, like I don't feel most of the time, especially in youth ministries, because I travel and I'll speak at youth ministries a lot. And I, and just being a youth pastor, looking at other youth ministries, most of the time we preach the message that we want to preach. And I'm talking about Mm. youth pastors and young ministers. And then we do an altar call without the mention of the gospel. So we, we don't even talk about the cross. And this is all Paul wanted to preach everybody like you read the epistles he's like i preach christ crucified 
buried and resurrected. Mm -hmm. I preach him. He's a stumbling block. This message is a stumbling block. He preached the gospel and we don't even do it. We just say, raise your hand if you want to accept Jesus. And most of the time, Mm -hmm. these Gen Z believers don't even know what they're raising their hand for. Most of them are like, I hope this gives me a better life. I hope I go to heaven. And so we've resorted the gospel to a get out of hell or get out of jail free card. And, you know, come and be a part of our cool, hip youth community. (laughs) I'm talking a little bit harsh a little bit, but it fires me up because I'm like, there's a church, um, Jesus Image. Do you know Jesus Image with the Kulianuses? Yeah. I love Michael. Michael. Love this church so much. So he preaches the gospel every Sunday morning and every Sunday night. I've actually never seen this in any church before. So before he preaches his message... After worship, he preaches the gospel and does an altar call. And then he preaches his message. And I have a, I have a friend um, who's really connected to Michael. And I just said, hey, why does Michael do that? Do you know why he does that? And he said, yeah, um, the Holy Spirit told Michael that if you want the lost to come to your church, you have to preach the gospel every Sunday. And he's done it mm. faithfully Every Sunday, and bro, I've been there on a Sunday. I've been to Jesus Image. When Michael preaches the gospel, people run to the front to get saved. And I think it says something Mm. about the time that we're in. And I think it's because most of us have not heard the gospel really preached like that. I I think this, and bro, jump in whenever you want. But I think a (laughs) lot of people in our churches, I wonder if everyone seated there who have been going there for years are actually even saved because they don't even know what the gospel is. And you see that from that statistic they're coming. And then you wonder why, especially for young, young believers, why they, when they become young adults, they leave the church. Well, I wonder if they were even saved or were they just coming to your cool group? Did they experience the true born again experience? Because for me, bro, like when I got saved at 13, baptized in the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit at 13 years old, speaking in tongues the next week, seeing the sick healed at 13 years old, you can't unteach that for me as a teenager. You can't, no one can talk me out of my experience that I had. And then about when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, for out of nowhere, all of my sin issues started dropping off. No one had to teach me to stop sinning. I just knew I have to stop sinning. And then I fell in love with scripture as a teenager. And then we're having such a hard time doing it in here because there's no gospel proclamation. And then there's less mm-hmm. emphasis on the Holy Spirit because we're afraid of him. And I'm just speaking yeah. candidly because I, I'm so tired of seeing this in churches where it's like, you know that this was the emphasis of the early church, right? Like, you know why the early church exploded. Like, I think the church of Ephesus had 100,000 people in it or more. And it was some crazy amount of people. These are the churches that Paul is over and they're exceedingly growing all the time. Why? Because they never forsook signs and wonders. I mean, they never forsook the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were in love with scripture, devoted to prayer, um, you read Acts 2.42, it talks about all this stuff in there. And like, think about this, even with the Holy Spirit. There's this story where Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, I think this is in Acts chapter 8. 
And when he baptizes this eunuch, um, he comes up out of the water and Philip is transported to Samaria, <laughs> which is supernatural. And we read that and we're like, oh, that's just a story, brother. No, that stuff still happens today and should happen today. Transports to uh, Samaria, preaches the gospel. Samaria sees revival from one man being there preaching the gospel. He goes and reports it to, um, I think it was Peter, James, and John. And this was their question to Philip. Did you lay hands on them for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And Philip says, I forgot to do that. (laughs) And then the apostles go like, what? That's like one of the most important things. You can't just, don't just stop at the cross. Go to Pentecost and get these Mm. people what Jesus paid for. This is the gift from the Father. So the apostles go to Samaria and it was like revival part two happens. And these people yeah. start receiving the Holy Spirit and the gifts start moving in that town. And so basically what, I, what the point I'm trying to get at is we have definitely cheapened the gospel of Jesus in our churches. And we're preaching way more self-help, TED Talk, not going deep in scripture, not seeing really a move of God. And bro, this is the stuff that I'm really most passionate about right now is how can we get the church back to its original roots and believing for moves of God again? And so, yeah, but I, I mean, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this too. I can keep going. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could talk for hours on this <laughs> yeah. right here. Like I'm, yeah, there's so much about, uh, I, I feel like God is raised up um, and is raising up a, a generation for the transition. Wow. Cause we're kind of like in between, um, we're in between wineskins and it's like how in that transition, how do you honor what was and still is like still operating and like, there's still some good stuff happening while taking a hold of and stepping into the Mm. new. And it's really easy to get frustrated, offended, whatever in the middle. Mm. And I think this is, I I could go on and on about this, but this is where a lot of our deconstruction is actually coming out of is I, I believe there's, yes, there's those who have um, demonic intention. There's those who are, are very offended and hurt by the church. But there's also those who are just recognizing our churches aren't okay. Mm. Like they're recognizing the, the status quo is not for us. And they're asking questions. And pastors have demonized the idea of asking questions and thrown it into this broader box of deconstruction. Wow. When it's not always deconstruction, like sometimes it's actually they're figuring out the new wineskin. And if we, if we don't recognize that the people actually are recognizing what we're talking about, that's, I love having these conversations because we have listeners that I know are in the in-between They are and they're not deconstruct like deconstruction is evil. Um, I, I'm very adamant mm-hmm. about that, but there's those who are not deconstructing the faith. They're deconstructing churchianity Ooh. And, and they're deconstructing what we in America have, have created to be the church that's not actually, they're looking at scripture and they're looking at what's happening and like, I don't know if this is like where things yeah. are going, but if they're, if they are demonized for doing that, they're going to be pushed into deconstruction, uh, if not by the grace of the Holy Spirit, keeping them in a, in a good path. Yeah, and I think most people, like what you're saying, Ryan, they know deep down when they're in their normal church service in this expression of worship that we've created in America, they know that there's more. You can't read mm-hmm. 
the gospels or anywhere in scripture and think that Christianity was meant to be boring. And I'm not saying that, you know, all of our church worship expressions are boring, but I will say that we've kind of made it pretty stale. And mm-hmm. a lot of people know that there's more, you know, I was just speaking in uh, Southern California this last weekend at an awesome church down there in San Clemente. And I preached um, really this message that was propelling people to realize there is so much more of God and, you know, you can have the more of, of God. And I'm not going to go into everything, everything I preached for the sake of time, but I did this altar call and it was this, it was a packed service. About half of the people there came forward for this call to receive a fresh, fresh infilling of the Holy spirit in their life. And, uh, amazing things happened at the altar. People are falling out. People are getting healed. God's moving. Um, I go to coffee the next day and this is the story I want to get to. There was this um, older man named Steve who approaches me. He sees me at the coffee shop. He's like, brother, your sermon yesterday blessed me so much. Um, and he said he had his whole family there. And, um, he said during my message, and this isn't pointing to me, I want to get to a point here during the message. He looks down, he sees his whole family crying. Hmm. And when I did the altar call, his entire family stands up and goes to the front to receive more. And this is what Steve told me. He said, I've known for a long time that there was more of God and that I was living comfortable but when you began to speak, it was like the Holy Spirit re- revealed revealed to me, you can't stay this way anymore. You can't stay mm. in this comfortable Christianity where you've limited the move of the Holy Spirit in your life and to know that you can have it now. And this is what he said to me. He's, pr- he's probably 60 years old. He looks at me, he says, I'm all in now. I'm going all wow. in for Jesus. My whole family, we're going all in. And that's that's the point I, re- I really want to get to, man, is just what you were alluding to, what you were saying. There is so much more of God that's accessible for this generation. Why are we not giving it to them? Why? You know, and if, if there's pastors or people listening to this today, like, you know it. You know it. You, we all know that there's so much more that we can give in our services to these people. Let's give it to them. You know, there's, there's a scripture, I think it's in Psalms, it says, in the day of God's power, people will volunteer. You know, when, when, when young people, when Gen, C, when Gen Z specifically sees the power of God move in, their, in services, they're going to go, I want that. I want the real thing. I don't want to just go to a TED Talk or a great worship performance. They can go see Justin Bieber. Like if yeah. it's about, and, it'll be, and it'll be so much better. It'll be such a, so much better of experience for them. They're going to be with all their friends. It's going to be crazy. What the church is for is a way different thing than just a great experience. We need the supernatural and we need deep biblical truth. And so, yeah, bro, I could keep going, but I know we're running short on time. Yeah, that's so good. Well, up next, I want to I want to ask you the question, what do you think the more looks mm. like in the coming days and like what is God wanting to pour out? Uh, but first, we will uh we'll end this episode here. How can people um how can people reach you or find your ministry, 
follow yeah, you. Yeah, so um, you can follow me on Instagram at Jonah Coin. Super simple, and then our ministry at Stay Here dot live. Um, and that's also our website too, www. or www.stayhere.live. Um, so you can find everything there, what we do, what we're about, and, uh, would love to hear from you guys that watched. So yeah, that's it. Awesome. Well, go follow Jonah, uh, send him a message about how this impacted you. And, uh, yeah, until next Woo-hoo. time, this is the fire podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fire Podcast with Ryan Rhodes. Fire Movement has a mission to bring people face-to-face with the real Jesus. If you love this show and ministry, please consider subscribing, leaving a five-star rating, and most importantly, sharing the podcast with others on social media. Also, would you please consider one-time or monthly support to help us sustain and grow this show so that others can be stirred to hunger for more of the real Jesus? You can do so by going to firemovement.com support, Venmo at firemovement, or cash app dollar sign firemovement. Thank you.